you would please stand. I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. You'll find it on page 774 in the Pew Bible. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going, going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and what, where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that you would please send the Holy Spirit powerfully upon us, the same Spirit that worked at Pentecost long ago, the same spirit that moved the prophets to write down the words that you gave them, the same spirit that moved the apostles to proclaim the good news of Jesus, the same spirit that bore witness to your Son. May that same spirit, Father, open our hearts and give us ears that we might hear your word. Believe it, Father. Obey it and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. 
don't worry, I'm going to try to tie together all these different loose ends that I've left dangling out here. There is a purpose. And uh, part of the purpose is we're switching gears, you no doubt have noticed, if you regularly attend MetroCrest. We're, we're closing the book of Acts for a few weeks, and we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. Uh, again, there's a connection. I'll try to convince you of that as we go along. Uh, but for the next uh, several weeks during the month of July, one Sunday of which I'll be away, uh, we're going to be looking at this Old Testament book, which actually will shed some very significant light, I think, on the book of Acts. So that when we go back to it in August, we might be better prepared to learn what we are intended to learn from the book of Acts. Um, I've got three headings. Uh, they kind of overlap each other, so it's not three headings that work sequentially through the text as we usually do. I've got three headings, all of which overlap one another. And the three headings are these. First heading, Jonah. Second heading, the Jonah Church. Third heading, the Great Jonah. And these three headings will actually overlap one another right through this chapter. First of all, Jonah. We meet him in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh. Um, That's quite a dramatic opening. Uh, We're going to look more at how Jonah responds to that uh, word from the Lord. But before we dive into all that, I'd just like to remind you of who Jonah is. Uh, He's here introduced without much fanfare. It simply says, the word of the Lord came to him. And they give his name, Jonah, the son of Amittai. And uh, so this Jonah is introduced to uh, the reader in a a very, very uh, short, uh, punctuated way. And the reason for that is Jonah was very well known. If you keep your finger in Jonah's chapter 1 and flip back in the Bible to 2 Kings chapter 14. Let me get you to do that for just a moment. 2 Kings chapter 14 on page uh, 321. And uh, just look down the first column about halfway to verse 23. It says, Jeroboam II reigns in Israel. This was, uh, if you notice, Jonah comes in the middle of all the Old Testament prophets. That's because chronologically Jonah shows up in the middle of the Old Testament prophets. He actually ministered at a particular time in history. And uh, so it's described, his ministry, the context of his ministry is described in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, beginning at verse 23, it says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, uh, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. You'll notice a lot of the names of the kings overlap. Like there was, you know, there's a Joash in Judah, there's a Joash in Israel. These are, these are uh, neighboring kingdoms. Uh, Judah's southern the southern kingdom, uh, Israel is the northern kingdom, and they have a lot of similar names of all these kings. It's sort of like, like we, we're very familiar with George I, George II, George III. Well, they had similar systems in uh, Old Testament days, and so there were lots of kings with the same names. Well, this Amaziah, the son of Joash, uh, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign. Verse 24 tells us what is all too too often the case with kings. Verse 24, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So the the context of 
this chapter here in 2 Kings is a long list of kings who sin and sin and sin again. And this particular king, Jeroboam II, is identified as one who, like his uh, ancestors, has, has continued to do evil. Uh, he does not depart from the sins of his ancestors, but he continues to do evil. And that was very often the case uh, with the kings of Judah and, and, and certainly the kings of Israel. A long list of sin. Sin, sin, sin. The king sinned. The people sinned. And there's a lot about the reality of sin in Second uh, Kings. And here we're reminded that, once again we're reminded that the king was a sinner. But notice what happens in verse 25. This is maybe the one thing Jeroboam II is noted good for having done. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamoth as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, and then notice this, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. We know it's the same Jonah. He's, he's the son of Amittai. Um, and here he is in the middle of 2 Kings uh, chapter 14. And he's noted as a prophet who was mingling apparently at the highest levels of, in Israel, un, including in the court of the king. And he actually took a word from the Lord to the king. And the king uncharacteristically obeyed and did as he was told. And he did restore the border of Israel, as the word of the Lord had told him to do. And that's maybe the, the signal thing that Rehoboam II did that wasn't all bad. He listened to a prophet with a word from the Lord. And that prophet was Jonah. It's interesting what Jonah prophesied about. It was about a border, <laughs> He went to the king and he reminded the king, he brought a word from the Lord about a border. And the king listened to him and restored the border. And that's what the Lord had wanted to happen in this particular case. Uh, so uh, Jeroboam did what he had been told by the prophet. And I guess you could, you could almost picture the patriotic accolades that would be heaped upon Jonah. Here's a prophet who brought a word protecting the national boundaries, the, the borders of Israel uh, for the very specific purposes that they had. And, and so there's a sense in which here's Jonah being presented as mingling with kings, as bringing a word from the Lord about the national borders, and the king listens. So my hunch is that in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, what we have is, is a, as a prophet on the rise. Here is a prophet whom the, 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 the people of Israel could look to and say, he gets it, he's one of us, he's fighting for us, he's protecting us in, in this crazy mixed up environment with all the kings raging war against one another. Here's Jonah standing for the border and being a, a voice that the king listened to. That's the Jonah you flip back to Jonah chapter 1. That's the Jonah we're meeting here. That's the Jonah who had, who had been a, a voice of God to the king. And the king heeded his voice and did as he was told. 
and restored the border. And borders were pretty important in the ancient world because it kept these violent, angry kings and their conquering armies from marching in and taking the country and killing the people and, and doing all kinds of evil. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, a proud thing that Jonah had led the king to do and probably the patriots among them would have been cheering for Jonah. Jonah gets it. Well, that's the Jonah we meet here in Jonah chapter 1. But here, God is telling Jonah something very different. He's telling the border prophet, now Jonah, I, I, I don't know, doesn't, there's no chronology given. My hunch is Jonah, the book, comes after Jonah the prophet in 2 Kings, uh, that what happens in this book is later than what happens in 2 Kings. That's my hunch. Nothing definite. But I do know that uh, 2 Kings doesn't mention anything about what happens in the book of Jonah, which is pretty striking. If, if everything had happened that we read about here in the book of Jonah by the time 2 Kings was written, you'd think there'd be some reference to it, but there is no reference. So my hunch is, you decide what you think, my hunch is, Jonah the book was written after Jonah the prophet spoke to the king in 2 Kings. So here is Jonah the border prophet who receives a very different word from the Lord. Or it may have felt different. It may have seemed different. Because what the, the Lord tells Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 is, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The Lord, the God of Israel, the sovereign Lord who reigned over the whole world was telling Jonah, the border prophet, to go across the border to Nineveh, the capital of the most angry and most violent of all those angry and violent countries that surrounded Israel. The Lord says, I want you to go there, Jonah, and I want you to take a word, a, a prophetic word. I've heard the evil they're doing, and I'm sending you with a message, Jonah. And just, just contemplate the, the, the irony of this. Jonah, the man who'd argued for the border walls and the border, is being sent across the border to the country they were most afraid of, and he has a message from the God of Israel. Well, it's really hardly surprising, really, in verse 3. Jonah, rather than catching the next camel train going to Nineveh, in, uh, in verse uh, uh, 3, instead of doing that, Jonah tries to catch the first ship he can going in the exact opposite direction. No one knows for sure where Tarshish was. Uh, some scholars say it could have been as far away as Spain on the opposite end of the Mediterranean Sea. We don't know exactly where it was, but we do know it was on the sea. And the ships went west. So God said go east. Jonah went west as fast as he could and about as far away as he could go. It says, I went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it, verse 3, to go with them to Tarshish, verse 3, away from the presence of the Lord. 
Jonah was going as far and as fast as he could in the opposite direction. This is not the prophet's proudest moment. (laughs) He's going the opposite direction. Well, you know the rest of chapter 1. It's a famous story. Oh, by the way, welcome to all of our Sunday school kids. You may have noticed a few short people in their service today. Uh, we, we love having our Sunday school kids. Some of them are coloring little handouts, which we prepare for them every, every uh, Sunday with pictures about the things we're reading and studying. We want them to engage with the Bible in a way that makes sense to them. We're, we're sort of translating the Bible into kid. And uh, so we're, we're hoping to help them to learn the things that we're learning as well so that on the drive home today, mom and dad can quiz them about the sermon. Uh, well, um, you all know the story. We learned it since Sunday school. Uh, Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do. He went as far away as he could go, and he did it by way of ship. And some terrible things happened to Jonah as he was making his way as far away as he could go. And let me tell you, when you resist the Lord and say no to the Lord, it's not unusual for things to not go well. Um, Things often go wrong when we refuse to listen to the Lord. Things sometimes go wrong when we are listening to the Lord. We're going to see more about that. But when we don't listen to the Lord, it's not unusual for things to go crazy. And that's what happens here. It says in verse 4, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Uh, here is uh, Jonah running away, and this terrible storm hits, and they're out on, on the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. Huge storm, and the ship is, is shaking. It shows signs of breaking up. Uh, the, mar- the mariners, verse 8, who typically have a lot of common sense, mariners often have a lot of common sense, they were afraid, and they cried out to his God. So these were pagan mariners. Uh, maybe they were from Tarshish. Maybe they were Phoenician traders from the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. Whoever they were, they weren't Hebrews. They were not people of the covenant of Israel. They were pagans. And so when the storm hits, what did they do? They called out to their God. It may have been a bunch of different gods. They may have been from all sorts of different countries. Because in, in this context, the God was sort of the community deity. And what did you say? There were 800 languages in Papua New Guinea. Well, there might have been 800 gods. There were lots and lots and lots of gods. And everybody had their own little god. Every little village, every country certainly had his own god, its own god. And so the, the pagans call out to their god. Now, where is Jonah, the prophet? Well, he is, uh, it says in verse 5, laid down fast asleep. I, it was not a restful sleep, I promise you. It was a, no doubt a fitful sleep. But there he was, asleep. I guess he, he just did what, when you can't do anything else, take a nap, right? There wasn't much else he could do. He's already running away from the Lord. So he just laid down and, and sort of resigned himself and closed his eyes and, and his tiredness caught up with him. He fell asleep. The captain came and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The God of Jonah, he tells the captain in verse 7 and 8, and down through verse 9, is the, the God of Jonah is the God of heaven. 
Jonah says his God made the sea and the dry land. He was a Hebrew. He was, he was a, a, a fearer of the Lord who created everything. And so Jonah gave a very ironic witness to this God. In, in his rebelliousness, Jonah gives witness to this God. He says, I fear him. He made everything, including me. And yet here I am rebelling against him. I'm, I'm disobeying him. And the people knew because Jonah had told them. Well, the pagan mariners, they hear all this and they go, oh no, what are we going to do? Uh, this, this God is going to destroy us. They were fearful. They were panicky. They didn't know what else to do. So they asked Jonah, what do we do? And Jonah said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. In other words, sacrifice me, save yourselves. But these pagan mariners didn't want to do that. They, they had some sort of pagan conscience about them and they, they didn't want to throw the man into the sea. But it uh, turned out that was really all they could do. They, they couldn't think of anything better. So in verse 14, they called out to the Lord. The first prayer in the book of Jonah is, is on the lips of a pagan. He says, O Lord... Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. You know, the the pagan is actually um, a much better witness than Jonah. Even though Jonah had perfect Sabbath school understanding, he was in active, open rebellion against the Lord. The pagan who had had a very short, very intense introduction to the religion of Israel in the course of these few hours in a, in a ship that was about to break up. The pagans seemed to get it more than the prophet did. And they just call out to him, O Lord, they use his covenant name. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not his blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. The pagans knew the sovereignty of God. They'd learned it from Jonah. And even though Jonah's rebelling, they submitted and, and they did what they didn't want to do. They threw Jonah into the sea. They picked him up, verse 15, they hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from his raging, from its raging. And then the, the first conversion in the book of Jonah, verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The pagans come off pretty good in this story so far. Uh, they hear the gospel from the messed up prophet. And despite him, they believed it. They called out to him. And when he heard their prayer, they feared him. And they made a sacrifice to him. So, here's Jonah. In all of his imperfection. I mean... This, this is a fascinating chapter because, you know, so much of hagiographic writing, that is, writing that's meant to exalt somebody, it usually minimizes their weaknesses, right? You don't read a, a heroic novel about a, a hero uh, very much where the emphasis entirely is on their failings. But that's exactly what happens in Jonah chapter 1. As we meet the prophet, we see firsthand clearly his failings in dramatic relief. So that's my first point, Jonah. We're dealing with a sinner here. We're dealing with a, with a man who had been used powerfully 
and yet had rebelled against the Lord. And we're going to learn more about him as we make our way through the book of Jonah. Now, first point, Jonah. Second point, the Jonah church. Jonah, the character, has always been, in a sense, a representative. He was a historic figure. He really existed. I I believe what's described here happened. But it was never simply biography. Because Jonah represented something. Jonah actually in his person and in his experience, he actually represented Israel. He represented all of Israel. He's the, the prophet representative of the covenant people of God. And the God of Israel had, had called Israel to faithfulness and Israel, both the, now, the north and the south, they, they rebelled against the Lord. They refused to heed the Lord. You know, the, the kings we read about in 2 Kings, um, they are the symptoms of the problem, not just the cause of the problem. They, they, were the, they were symptoms of a problem. What was the problem? The problem was the people, the covenant people, were far from the Lord. And so the, the faithlessness of the people wound up leading to faithless leaders. And faithless leaders, let me assure you, lead to faithless people. And so you have this terrible cycle of a deepening crisis. You have an openly rebellious Israel. In fact, the book of Kings, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, record what? Judgment. Israel was under judgment because they had rebelled against the Lord. They had refused to heed God's commandment. They had refused to submit to God's word, delivered by the prophets like Jonah. They were rebellious people. And that's another thing about the Old Testament. The Old Testament shows the glaring imperfections of Israel, north and south. There's no sugar coating. There's no propaganda. Here we see a covenant people in rebellion, refusing to do what their God had told them to do. So Jonah, a person, becomes, if you will, and a symbol for Israel, the rebellious Israel. And like Jonah, rebellious Israel is facing judgment. That's what First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, all the prophets record. Rebellious Israel under judgment. So the prophet Jonah is a little glimpse of the rebellious people, the rebellious covenant people. But I've chosen the word church. Um, church in Greek, ekklesia, is the word used in the Greek translations of the Hebrew Scriptures for the synagogue. The congregation of Israel is called an ekklesia, the called out ones. So what we read about in the Old Testament is a rebellious church, a rebellious covenant group of God's covenant people. And that's what the church is. Covenant people, covenant God, called out to himself. Well, the book of Jonah 
describes a rebellious people symbolically. What we're going to read about and what we're going to see as we make our way through here is more than a lesson for one man or one individual, let alone a bunch of individual individuals. Here is a message for a community. Here is a message for the church. The message for the church, and we're going to see this more as we go along, is to obey the Lord. It is is always right to obey the Lord. But it's also always wise to obey the Lord. It's right. That's most important. But let me assure you, it is also wise to obey Him. doesn't mean we won't suffer when we obey Him. But it does mean... He's with us through it. He leads us through it. He he brings good out of it in a way that on our own we won't experience. So the the Jonah church, looking at the Old Testament, is called to a kind of faithfulness and they refuse. Well, this application, this point has jumped out at me this week. (laughs) Uh, You might notice James Woods sitting here on the second row looks a little tired. Uh, that's because on uh, Friday morning, I don't know what time you got to bed, James, but I, I got home around 1.30 or something, 1.45. That, that's about five hours past my, my bedtime. Uh, anyway, the reason we were out so late is what James and Larry Perry and I were representing Metrocrest at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. I think it was the 48th General Assembly in St. Louis. And um, I kept thinking about Jonah. I kept thinking about God who calls his people to himself. Very often in a national context, uh, he calls his people to himself. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to wisdom. That's sometimes complex. It's, it's not always easy to discern our way through these things. In the book of Acts, you see the, the infant church wrestling with faithfulness to God. We saw last week, there, there they are again wrestling they're wrestling with how, how do we live out God's call to us in our context. We don't live in uh, 8th century B.C. Uh, northern kingdom. We, we live in a different place. They were writing in a different context. And so are we, by the way, aren't we? We're living in a different context. But just like the church in Acts was wrestling with God's truth and how do we apply that in love? How do we do that? How do we do that? It is not easy. Is it? It is a very difficult thing. You don't get it right like that. Because we're all sinners. Like Jonah, we're all sinners. We rebel. We get it wrong. We're tone deaf. Well, part of the reason we were so tired after three days, four days of General Assembly, James was on a committee representing Metrocrest at the National Committee that deals with discipleship ministries. Our adult education class that James leads uh, coordinates. He was there at the table with a hundred other delegates talking about how the PCA will disciple, how we will teach God's Word and live it out. That's the context. Well, that church is called to make decisions. That, call, that church is called to obedience. And the Presbyterian Church in America is called to obedience. We're called to, to listen to God and heed His Word and obey His Word. That's not an easy thing to do. We had Jonah moments. We had other moments, but it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And Metrocrest, we're a church 
uh, of the sovereign God, the covenant God. We're, we're seeking to live out his call to us. Uh, we live in that same world, uh, that world where sin is a reality and where discernment is a requirement for God's covenant people. Well, I just want to stress that the book of Jonah has application to us. We're part of the Jonah church. We're, we're part of the church that is seeking to listen. And we will have lessons as we make our way through here. This is underscoring the reality of sin in that. The Jonah church is a sinful church. The Jonah church is seeking to obey. Doesn't always obey, but seeking to obey. We'll learn more about that as we go. But finally, I want to emphasize this just in closing. This last point was the most important one and the shortest one. And that is the great Jonah. If Jonah is a representative of covenant Israel and by extension the covenant church of which we're a part, uh, if, 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 uh, if Jonah is representative of the church, there is also another one who is a representative of the church. And I've called him the great Jonah. Actually, those aren't my words. Um, those are the words of someone infinitely more qualified than me. Let me get you to look over to Matthew chapter 12. We looked at the Old Testament at a place where Jonah's name shows up. Flip over to Matthew chapter 12. Don't lose Jonah because we're going to come back to him, but I do want you to see this, this essential cross-reference. We won't understand Jonah if we don't understand this. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) And behold, someone, something greater than Jonah is here. Flip down to uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Another reference. Verse 17. Jesus answered Peter, and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Isn't that interesting? Simon's, Simon's father's name was Jonah, and in Hebrew culture, his name was Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jonah, in the book of Jonah, is a little representation of the the covenant people, the Jonah church. But Christ is the great Jonah who is the perfect symbol of God's people made right. God's obedient people. God's people who long to do his will. Unlike Jonah who ran away, Jesus 
ran to the fire. He ran to the crisis. You know, Jonah was thrown into the sea as an attempted sacrifice so that the people on board the ship wouldn't die. Well, Jesus was the one true, perfect sacrifice. The perfect Jonah, the great Jonah, who offered himself as a sacrifice for his imperfect people. And it's in Jesus that we see the face of the faithful God. It's in Jesus that we see the face of the God that loves us in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our rebelliousness. He loves us. And in Jesus we see that God is willing to die for us in his Son. To, to take our place. And that Jesus, the great Jonah, went into the belly of the beast and died. Jonah doesn't die, spoiler alert. But Jesus did die. He, he was the blood sacrifice for us. Well, I've, I've called this morning's sermon July go forth. I have to tell you why. Um, on July the 4th, we typically think about our country. That's fine. I'm grateful for our country. That's where I started. But let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. Let this July 4th be the day when we as God's people, the people of God who live in this country, not every American is a Christian, not every Christian is an American, but may this July the 4th be a day when, when we think about God's call to us, we're going to think a lot more about that this month. When we hear God's voice to go to the nations, that's what Acts is about. As God calls us to go to the nations, may we be those who respond with, yes, Lord. Not no, Lord. Not running the opposite direction, but yes, Lord. I hear you. I want to obey you. Help me. Send your spirit. You know what the name Jonah means? Dove. Isn't that ironic? Jonah, whose name meant dove, is the prophet in the Old Testament who speaks through his story of the Holy Spirit that has fallen upon the church so that we might obey the Lord and reach out to the nations with the love of God. The love of God that we see throughout the Old Testament and the love of God that we see supremely in Jesus Christ.